I'm going to do a, um, a quick look at a scripture that is probably familiar to a lot of people. And um, let me close this. Hold on. Never done this screen share thing before. I'm pretty excited. Okay, so this is from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 19. And this is the message version. This is what God says, the God who builds a road right through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies. They lie down and they can't get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. Yes, a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands, and a Wi-Fi connection on a hotspot. Yes, indeed. God makes things new, right? Okay, so I am going to share a little bit this morning about some new things that God's doing in my life. And this is going to be um, very story space style because God's been doing a lot of new stuff with me. And um, I realized as I was prayerfully looking at it that there's a message in there that I think a lot of us maybe are hurting for right now. Some of you are newer friends for me, and um, some of you know all sorts of things about my, my kind of unusual life journey, and others of you don't know much at all. So I'm going to do a real quick recap of um, what has kind of changed the whole course of my life in the last couple of years. And we're going to do it with some pictures because I think that having the faces helps to make this real. So um, Fred and I have a family, blended family with seven kids. And my next to youngest kid, uh, Jacob, is going to get some attention this morning. This is my four biological kids. And this one is Jacob right here. And he's the next to youngest. Um, he is hilarious. He is extremely musical. He is artistic. He is uh, the life of the party. And um, this was him with his sister right before um, prom one year. He was a soccer player, uh, co-captain on his soccer team. Really normal growing up. I mean, well, as normal as anybody who, you know, is in Fred's and my family could be. That's, that's, a, that's a caveat. But he had a very normal growing up. And uh, sometime around uh, when he was 19, he began dating a young lady named Leah. And um, they got married very quickly. Their, their whole relationship was one year from when they started dating until they got married in our backyard. And uh, soon after that, they decided to move to Colorado and have adventures. So this was, this was them a year, year and a half or so after they got married when they had moved to Colorado. We had concerns about their relationship, um, about their lives. Um, there was some drug use. There were some signs of developing mental illness in Jacob, but um, our attempts to help and get involved were sort of rebuffed. After a whole lot of difficult things, including me living with them for a month in Colorado, trying to get medical care, trying to get financial things taken care of. We finally brought them back to the East Coast with their cooperation, and they lived with family here for an extended period of time. 
during which things spiraled down fast. Um, the mental illness became very apparent, although we could not get a clear diagnosis because Jacob would not cooperate with that. We also became very, very concerned about who this woman was that he was married to. She was pretty scary. Um, and we don't need a lot of details, just know that everyone in our whole blended family, my ex-husband and his wife, um, everybody tried to get these two professional help. And eventually what happened is they stole a bunch of money, smashed a bunch of things, took a car and disappeared. And for 13 months from December 2016 until January 2018, none of us had any idea where they were whether they were alive or dead, what they were doing. And the end of January 2018, we found out where they were and what they were doing because they were arrested for murdering Catherine Kelly in her home on January 24th, 2018. This was the first time that we had seen my son in 13 months. And this is the woman whose life was taken at my son's hands. Um, so that was kind of catastrophic and it changed the whole course of everything. I'm sure that you can imagine that that would be the case. There was a period of time where I was barely surviving. Um, all of us in our family barely surviving. There were several months of trying to learn how to breathe again and trying to figure out what this whole new universe that we had been ushered into was going to be like what it was like to have my phone ring and to pick it up and have an automated voice say, this is a prepaid call from uh, Colorado Department of Corrections, blah, 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 you know, and you have to press buttons before the phone call comes through. When we would talk to Jake or get letters from him, it was clear that he was full blown delusional much of the time. He believed some crazy, crazy stuff that God had sent him to live on the side of a mountain because uh, Armageddon was coming and he and Leah were going to be the next Adam and Eve and start the world over. I mean, like crazy stuff, you guys, not like a little troubled, like full on delusional. Um, we would lose communication with him for chunks of time because uh, he and Leah were caught secretly passing letters to one another through the prison library. And uh, he was put into solitary confinement for an extended period. Um, Eventually, we ended up learning what it was to be interviewed by court appointed investigators because the prosecutors were coming against Jake in this case and were trying to have the death penalty um, uh, used in his case. They, okay, they, they, they wanted him to face the death penalty. And for political reasons, there were people in Colorado who did not want that to happen. And so this room is the interview room that I set up in my home. And on Mother's Day weekend in 2018, this is where we sat doing video interviews. I was interviewed for 14 hours on the Saturday of that weekend and for six hours on Sunday, Mother's Day of 2018, with investigators trying to find out who this, who this man was and um, trying to get enough evidence from his family that he was mentally unstable and that the death penalty should not be applied. Um, that was successful. They did, they did change that. This was Jacob at his sentencing, which was in September on my birthday, my 50th birthday, September 21st, 2018. My son was sentenced 
to 68 years in prison. And uh, he gave his allocution statement. And at this point, Jacob was broken. The time in solitary in particular over the summer had been a huge breakthrough. And he had become very humble, very repentant, very cooperative, working with the court appointed attorneys that he had. I mean, we had no money to hire attorneys. We didn't know how to do this. Um, he was working with court appointed lawyers. He delivered a beautiful and painful allocution at his sentencing, taking full responsibility for what he had done. And we began to have hope. And we began to have a new normal. And um, so what came after that then was me learning what it's like to go on regular visits to Crowley County Correctional Facility in Colorado, which is in the middle of absolutely nowhere, let me tell you, <laughs> and to visit with my son. And Fred went with me. I made a series of visits um, over the course of 2019. And I started to almost feel like, okay, I think I'm going to understand how this new normal works. I'm going to visit every couple of months, every two to three months. Um, I'm going to do lots and lots of educating myself on the mental health coping strategies that Jacob needs to learn. I uh, did finally get a diagnosis through the prison system and Jacob was diagnosed. We don't know if this is accurate or not because it was, you know, it was a one shot meeting with him, but he was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder with uh, mood congruent psychosis, with major depressive and generalized anxiety disorder, and um, with uh, cannabis use disorder. So he's, he's not, he's not uh, got access to cannabis anymore, so that one's gone, but all the rest of them, as far as we know, are in place. The uh, connection to reality has really improved, and he has worked hard, hard, hard to learn to manage his emotions, to manage his decision-making, and there's been a huge amount of progress there, and we've been so grateful for it. Um, so that was my new normal until March of this of uh, 2020, when I got to Colorado for a visit and um, got in from my plane and settled into my Airbnb. And at six o'clock the next morning, my phone rang, and it was the prison canceling all visitation indefinitely because of COVID. So I spent the next five days at this little Airbnb in the middle of absolutely nowhere, Colorado, um, talking on the phone to my son because I couldn't go to the prison and wasn't going to be able to and still have not been able to. It's coming up on a year and there's still no talk of visitation being reinstituted. So suddenly the, the new normal that was almost starting to feel bizarre but normal was now thrown out again. And I couldn't figure out how this was going to work. I've had a growing burden for ministering to people with mental illness, to um, people who become incarcerated because of mental illness. You know, statistics indicate that while the general population is maybe in the neighborhood of 18% of um, people in the U.S. have a... Um, a serious form of mental illness within prisons, it's estimated that's 35 to 50%. There are a lot of people incarcerated with little to no access to any kind of mental health care, and that has been really on my heart. And then I had all visitation just taken away in a moment. It was new and I didn't like it. And I was frustrated and I was saying, God, I'm willing to do this. I've been working on educating myself and making connections and learning from prison ministry organizations and 
and you're, you're giving me, I'm back to nothing but phone calls. Oh, and by the way, the phone calls became very infrequent because, well, as COVID roared through the prison where Jake lives, they put them on lockdown. Lockdown means that for 48 hours, you're in your cell and then you come out for 20 to 30 minutes to get a shower and make a quick phone call. And then you go back into your cell for another 48 hours. So in the summer, they were on lockdown for 67 days. It got better. They were out again for a couple of months and then the virus spiked and they have been on lockdown for close to 90 days now. So I felt really frustrated. And then my own personal life got worse because um, now my daughter-in-law, Leah, finally stood trial. She had gotten a series of delays and her trial had been delayed and delayed and then delayed because of COVID. And every time the prosecutors would contact me and tell me that I was going to have to come and testify against her. And um, to say that that terrified me is a gross understatement. So from January through November, it hung over my head and I would be subpoenaed and then the court case would get delayed again and then I would be subpoenaed again and then the court case would be delayed again. And we finally got to November and they had me waiting on call for five weeks, told me to keep my bag packed because at any moment they were going to say, okay, your plane ticket is here, go tomorrow. Um, and then I never had to testify. <laughs> They decided not to bring me in after all. I don't know why. I don't know why it worked that way. But in November, Leah stood trial. She was convicted of first degree murder. She was sentenced to life without parole plus 48 years. And that was my fall. And it was, that was it. I'd had it. I was so done. I was so exhausted. I was so scared. I was just tapped out, you guys. Tapped out. And so I listened because when I was stuck in the middle of nowhere, Colorado in March, when they first canceled visitation, I heard something through that situation that I hadn't heard before. And what I heard was my body and my mind and my life respond and heal because of rest. I'm not a very good rester. I'm a doer. And um, when I was stuck for several days with nothing to do but talk on the phone to my son, I rested. I rested and I realized how much I needed rest. So when the rest of the year was crazy and hard, and when we got to the end of November and I was totally fried, I realized I needed to rest. And I realized that God had shown me back in March what that could look like and what that could feel like. So even though I was afraid that people would think I was a big loser, I took most of the month of December off. I took long walks. I read books. I created art things. And I'm not very artistic, but I did it anyway because I just wanted to. I worked puzzles. I talked to friends. I wrote in my journal. I took a four-day personal retreat when Fred went on down to Florida without me and, and left me to, to just sit with Jesus. I learned so much in the EHS course in the fall, and I think a lot of you experienced that too, about the importance of solitude and silence. And so I 
buckled down and really employed that for those days. And not only has my body begun to heal and my emotions, um, I'm hearing God saying the next new thing that he's doing. I'm starting to understand it. That verse in in Isaiah that I shared at the beginning where he says, don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? It's right there. It's springing up. It's right there. I'm, I'm making a river in the desert. And I started to get a glimpse of what he is doing that is new. And here's a little picture of it. It's letters. It's prayer and it's letters, you guys. It is not glamorous. It does not involve um, starting a, a huge movement and taking over the world. Um, it, it's writing letters to the guys that are incarcerated alongside my son that I've heard about for the last couple of years, guys that I feel like I've gotten to know a little bit about through Jake. Um, I asked Jake before they went on lockdown to do a questionnaire and to ask a whole bunch of guys in the pod, what are the things that give them the ability to get out of bed in the morning? The number one thing that came out as the theme is to know that they matter to somebody. Probably the number one fear among people who are incarcerated is that they will be totally forgotten. Many of them have such dysfunctional families that their family's not writing letters to them or calling or accepting phone calls. I can't call accepting phone calls. Um, I haven't written anything amazing to anybody. It's been like really simple stuff, but I'm getting letters back. And the letters are saying, oh, wow, thank you. you I, I can't tell you how much it means to me to be remembered, to be remembered. Um, that's my new thing, is to remember people in prison. That probably sounds really small and maybe odd, but one of the things that came out of my personal retreat time in December was rereading a book about Mother Teresa's ministry in Calcutta. And she had this phrase that she would use that in her prayer time, there were so many broken, dying, hurting, desperate people. And she remembered them before Jesus. It blew open my prayer for Crowley County Correctional Facility because I didn't have to figure out what to pray for Carlton Tuttle. I didn't have to figure out how to pray for Dylan Thompson. I didn't have to figure out how to pray for James Bonsteel. I could just remember them before Jesus. And then I realized I could do that with the warden Warden Goodrich. I could do it for all the corrections officers that I've learned their names over the years that Jake's been there, the ones that he likes and the ones that he can't stand. I can remember them before Jesus. And if God is who he says he is, my prayers will change Crowley County Correctional Facility. I don't know how. I I don't even know if visitation is ever going to be reestablished. I know nothing about the how, but I'm telling you, I pray like I believe it now. I used to pray all the time. 
primarily for my son, that he wouldn't be killed, you know, stuff like that, that he would regain his senses, the things that I knew to pray. But when I stopped worrying about what I knew to pray and I just started remembering people before Jesus, I began to pray like I meant it, like I believed it. And coming out of the prayer is pen and paper. It's writing letters. And the more excited I get about it, the more people say to me, can I have a couple of names and DOC numbers? I, I want to write a letter too. Christmas came and some of you that I'm sitting here looking at little squares of, some of you said, I want to send Christmas cards. And I said, no sticker, no glitter, because they're really big on no stickers and no glitter. Um, people are, are coming alongside with their prayers and their pens and their paper. And God's doing something new. So my challenge to you this morning as we go into our breakout rooms for a minute, if we have time for that, I know my Wi-Fi messed us up, but what area of no in your life, probably in 2020, might actually be, wait, here we go, visual aid. What no might actually lead to something new? No to new. Where do you feel like you just got slammed to a halt in 2020? Or maybe it had nothing to do with 2020. Maybe it is some other area of your life, but someplace where roadblock, absolutely immovable. Like I'm supposed to be going to visit my son in prison to help him regain his sanity and hopefully get right with Jesus. And there is no such thing as visitation anymore. That's a no. But look at the new thing that God's making out of it. What no in your life? might become something new.